Hello, and welcome to the History of Haiti. We left off in the summer of 1791, with the whites having gone into revolt upon receiving the news that France had made coloreds born to two free parents equal citizens. The coloreds had then gone into revolt to counter the whites' revolt, and the small whites had seized the colonial capital of Port-au-Prince, while the coloreds had formed an assembly in the town of Mirabile. The revolting whites then sent a small force to try to subdue the coloreds, but it was beaten back. The coloreds then took a critical step in the story of the Haitian Revolution. They offered freedom to any slave willing to fight for them. The slaves who signed up were nicknamed the Swiss after the king's Swiss guard back in France, and we will get to their tragic fate later. While the whites and coloreds fought, the slaves noticed that the master class that had long dominated them was now divided and weak. So the slaves began to plot, and over the summer and early fall of 1791, slaves formed plans and a conspiracy to revolt. Their plan was to destroy the plantations of the North Province and surround La Cap and then start fires inside Le Cap to kill the remaining whites, although the uprising in Le Cap would be abandoned. But a few days before the scheduled uprising, slaves in the parish of Limbe revolted early, setting fire to part of their plantation. When caught, one of the slaves told the masters about the slave conspiracy and gave the masters the names of the leaders. The whites did not believe the slave, but the other members of the conspiracy decided that it was now or never. On the 22nd of August, 200 slaves met in a place known as Alligator Wood, or in French, Boy Came On. The meeting at Boy Came On is widely considered the birth of the Haitian Revolution. The meeting took the form of a voodoo ceremony, led by a voodoo priest named Duddy Bookman, who doubled as the chief organizer for the conspiracy. Present at the meeting included the men who would lead the slave revolt, including Jeannot Bolette, John Francois, Bissou, and possibly Toussaint Bereda. As the meeting begun, a tropical storm raged in the distance, a good omen. Then, Duddy Bookman, with the help of a priestess, slit the throat of a black pig, and drank from its blood. Duddy Bookman then proclaimed, The good Lord who creates the sun, and rouses the sea, and makes the thunder roar. Listen well, all of you. He watches us. He sees all that the white people do. The God of the white men calls him to commit crimes. Our God asks only good works of us. But this God who is so good orders revenge. He will guide our hand, and he will aid us. Throw away the image of the whites who thirst for your tears, and listen to the voice of liberty which speaks in the hearts of all of us. The next night, hundreds of slaves rose in revolt. They killed the plantation owners who had long oppressed them. They destroyed hundreds of plantations as they marched across the north. Hundreds of revolting slaves became thousands of revolting slaves, and then tens of thousands. As the army marched, they killed and tortured the white slave owners who had long oppressed them. But the goal of the army was not to murder the hated masters. 
Instead, they planned to destroy the plantations that were the site of their oppression. The cane fields, where they had been overworked, were burnt to the ground. The sugar grinders that had destroyed slave limbs were smashed. The plantations of the north were reduced to ruin, and the slaves were not done. An important point to make here is that the idea of a slave army marching through the land, killing every white they could see, is not accurate at all. Many whites over-exaggerated the atrocities committed by the slave army. And despite what you may think, many slaves would go out of their way to save whites. Doctors and surgeons were always taken prisoner, and Catholic priests were always left untouched, and even though allowed to continue operating inside slave territory. There were also many instances of slaves sparing an overseer or master, thought to be a fair man, or smuggling out white women and children to allow them to escape to La Cap. But the slave leader who did none of this, and in effect quite the opposite, was a man named Janu O. Bullet. As Wenda Parkinson says in her book, This Gilded African, Junot was utterly remorseless, even to his own kind. He would stop at nothing to gain his own ends. He was daring, seizing quickly on chances, quick-witted, and capable of total hypocrisy. He feared no one and nothing, and unfortunately found inspiration in cruelty, a sadist without the refinements that so-called civilization brings. End quote. Junot's army numbered 6,000, and it was Junot who captured the town of Dondon, giving the slave army access to trading with the Spanish side of the island. Although relatively few whites died in the initial uprising, huge amounts of slaves were killed in pitched battles. At this point, most slaves were armed only with agricultural tools, mostly machetes, although some slaves did have guns and swords. This led to slaves having a much higher death rate than the whites, with one white dying for every 10 dead slaves. But this did nothing to deter the slave militants. They fought on using similar guerrilla warfare tactics that McCandle and the Maroons had. They also fought using tactics the slaves had brought with them as they had been shipped over from Africa. If you will remember, many slaves had been sold into slavery as African POWs. Because of the widespread voodoo belief that dying in battle meant your soul would return to Africa, the slaves were suicidally brave during battles. During battles, slaves would shove their arms into cannons or jam limbs into the wheels of artillery pieces to prevent movement. As October turned November, the first stage of the slave uprising was over. The whites had been pushed farther and farther back until they reached the sea. White refugees poured into Le Cap, meanwhile a slave army put Le Cap to siege. The situation in the north province settled into stalemate, with the slave army controlling the northern plains, mountains, and plantations, while the whites controlled the major cities and ports. In early November, Bookman was killed in a skirmish, and his head was cut off and taken back to Le Cap as a trophy. 
Jeanette was also killed, but not by the whites, but from fellow blacks. In early November, a fellow slave general named Jean Francois marched his army into Jeanneau's camp and arrested Jeanneau. Jean Francois then ordered Jeanneau shot, claiming that Jeanneau's extreme, even when compared to the other slave generals, cruelty towards whites was hurting the uprising as a whole. With Bookman and Jeanneau both dead, two new generals came to dominate the slave army. They are George Bassou and Jean-Francois Pelipon. George Bassou was an African-born slave who labored on a sugar plantation. It's possible that Bassou was at Boy Came On. When the uprising began, Bassou quickly became one of the leading generals of the uprising. He was both extravagant, flamboyant, and vengeful, although not nearly as much as Jeanneau had been. Jean-Francois, on the other hand, was a maroon leader who escaped his sugar plantation long before the beginning of the uprising. He helped plan the slave revolt and soon became a general. It had been Jean-Francois who had arrested and killed Jeanneau, and Jean-Francois was both ruthless and a violently pragmatic general. Governor Blanchland, stationed in Le Cap, concluded that the slave army would burn itself out eventually, and so settled on a policy of defense, fortifying Le Cap and holding a string of mountain forts that separated the north province from the west province and contained the slave uprising from spreading out of the north province. The whites and coloreds, for their part, both agreed to put their differences behind them to face their common and okay, who am I kidding? One of the strangest things about the uprising is that the slave uprising was so well-timed and going so well for the slaves that the whites and coloreds did not believe that the slaves by themselves could have organized the revolt. Both were incredibly racist and believed the slaves to be stupid and lazy, and so accused each other of provoking the uprising. The small whites accused the coloreds of provoking the revolt in revenge for the killing of Oge, and then went around killing free coloreds. The coloreds said that, no, that was stupid. It's clearly the big whites who had created a slave uprising so they could force France to repeal the May 15th decree. The big whites were divided, but many white refugees saw Governor Blanchelin's policy of defense as him wanting the slaves to win, and so openly accused him of masterminding the slave uprising to reassert the rule of France on the whites now threatening independence. As if that made any sense. And finally, some big whites began claiming that it was actually the Society of the Friends of the Blacks, whose ideas of emancipation had made their way across the Atlantic to the slaves, and they were the ones who had triggered the revolt. Of course, all of these conspiracy theories were false. The slaves were not stupid and lazy, and they had carefully planned the revolt themselves. Down in the West Province, where the slave rebellion had not spread to yet, the free colors and whites continued their civil war. But with word of the slave revolt in the North being received, the big whites abandoned the small whites and agreed to stop fighting the coloreds. 
Soon after, the Colors and the Swiss marched into the cul-de-sac and effectively put Port-au-Prince to siege. The small whites, who still controlled Port-au-Prince, soon after agreed to give in, and the big whites, small whites, and free coloreds all agreed to a peace treaty called the Concordant that recognized the May 15th decree and established racial equality. After the Concordant was signed, the coloreds now had to decide what to do with the Swiss. They decided to try to sell the Swiss into slavery on a different Caribbean colony, but when this failed, the coloreds who had promised the Swiss freedom executed some of the Swiss and left all the rest of them to die on ships in the harbor of Port-au-Prince. Next episode, we will watch as the Concordant breaks down, the slave revolt in the north rages onward, and see a slave revolt down in the south province, an area where we have not talked about yet. Thank you for listening.